Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 539 for the 24th of ER in a regular year. So there's this really interesting theory in philosophical circles that we are all living in a simulation, uh, like, you know, just like a like a video game of sorts or something like that, uh, and that everything we see in our reality is merely just like a program, like kind of like a matrix-like program, um, and it's not actually what we see. This is a theory which you may have heard about from Elon Musk, because Elon Musk seems to be a proponent of this theory, or at least seems to give some credence to the idea that this theory um, could be the truth. But the truth is this theory was actually popularized by a Swedish philosopher named Nick Bostrom. So there's been a lot of discussion about this. Uh, is this true? Are we in fact living in a simulation? Or are we in fact not? At the end of the day, at least as far as my understanding goes, um, the conclusion is that this isn't really a scientifically viable theory, mainly because of the fact that it's not falsifiable. We can't test it. There's no way to theoretically disprove it. So thus, you know, anything that can't be disprovable cannot actually be a viable scientific theory. But so what does Torah have to say about all this? Because this is, after all, a Torah podcast, Torah-based podcast, right? So interestingly enough, um, Torah addresses this question in the very, very beginning of the Torah, of the of uh, Breshis, believe it or not. In the opening verse of the entire Torah, which is Breshis bara Elohim et Hashemayim v'Ta'aretz, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So most people read this verse and they think that what it's teaching us is that there's a creator to our world, so that there is, you know, there there's some somebody behind it all. There's an intelligence design. And now in that way of looking at it, then it's kind of like we take the world as a given, and then the chadish, the novelty, is the understanding of a creator, of God. However, there's another way of looking at this, another way of reading this, which actually flips it on its head. And it's a much more Hasidic way of looking at this at this verse. And I believe this is something that we've actually spoken about previously in the podcast elsewhere, which is the idea that the chiddush, the novelty, is not God. The novelty is the world. Like the fact that God exists, that's a given. The fact that there's, you know, this one... Um, essential source for everything, that's a given. But the question, the real question is, does the world exist? And if the world exists, how is that possible? Because is you know, this is a big theme that comes up in Chassidus, that if God is really one and there is nothing apart from him, how can there really be a world outside of him? You know, there's God in the world. And is this really true? Maybe it is a simulation. Maybe it's not really a world. And so Bereshi's Baruch comes to teach us that no, actually, there is a world. God actually did create a world. And the fact that there is a world apart from God 
is actually pretty miraculous. It's actually crazy and it, it doesn't really make much logical sense. Um, but that's the amazing thing about God, you know, the whole quandary about can God create a rock that's too big for him to move? That's sort of what he did in creation. It's the whole idea of that symptom that God metamsumed himself. He constricted himself in order to create something apart from him. A world in which there are people that can actually be partners in, in creation, that can actually pray to God to change God's will, which is, you know, a, a crazy thing if you think about it. Nevertheless, as we'll see in today's podcast, this sim idea, this simulation theory, this idea that we're all living in a simulation, there is some logical basis to it. And, and there is a reason we can, we can actually, it, it is understandable why somebody might think that. So if you've ever... Um, uh, engaged in virtual reality, experience virtual reality, like a, a virtual reality game, then you might have a, a deeper appreciation of this, or especially if you've seen somebody playing virtual reality. So a little while ago, I got to experience a, a virtual reality video game for the very first time. And my friend who was with me took a video of me as I was playing this virtual reality game. And it's really interesting to watch because what, what I was experiencing, you know, was this whole world with the headset on. It was like this whole, you know, there's like, uh, there's like steps and dimension and depth and different creatures and all kinds of different things and things like that. And I'm, I'm like holding this stick in this virtual world and I'm hitting these different monsters and they're coming at me from different places. Uh, but then when you look at the actual video of me playing this virtual reality game, it's like you just see me standing there in the middle of this room with a headset on and I'm just like moving around and and like you don't see any of the stuff that I'm seeing. So all of that stuff that I'm experiencing is actually just happening in my mind. It's actually just happening, um, you know, in through from I'm getting stimuli just in my visual cortex. And that's creating this whole experience in my mind, this multi-sensory experience in my mind. And the truth is we also all kind of have this experience a little bit when we go on social media these days or the internet in general, you know, and form different relationships, build up personas for ourselves and all that kind of stuff. And there's whole worlds on social media, on the internet that uh, are really full and rich. But the truth is they really only exist in a virtual space. So while this is an easy way to kind of appreciate this idea of, you know, what, what it is that we're experiencing versus what is the reality of the situation, the truth is that this actually does apply to our entire lives. Because as we, and we started talking about this yesterday, you know, um, if you were to ask somebody, how is it that you see that which is in front of you? What is allowing you to see uh, this apple that you place in front of them? They most likely would say their eyes. Their eyes are the are what allow them to see. When the truth is, as we spoke about yesterday, it's actually your brain that's seeing. Yes, your eyes are taking in the stimulus of the world around you, but then that stimulus only gets translated into vision once it goes into, once there's um, there's messages that are sent to, to your brain and translates that to vision. The same thing for hearing or smelling or uh, touching or any of the senses that we have, all of what we're experiencing actually happens in our minds. It's, it's in our brain. So that's not to say that there's no part to our bodies, that our bodies don't have a part in it, the rest of our bodies. But the brain really is the nerve center. You know, we call it a nerve center for a reason, because that's really the central channel way, the central nervous system where all of the other nerves of our body, everything else that's going on in our body really, um, really is centered. And that's, that's like the, the headquarters of it all. 
So this whole discussion of the central role that the brain plays and the, you know, the central uh, nervous system in, uh, in relation to the rest of the body is really going to help us understand this question that came up at the beginning of the chapter that we've been studying that we started learning yesterday and we're going to continue today, which is namely this teaching that whereby we're taught that the uh, the Shekhinah, the divine indwelling, dwelled in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies in the base of Magdash. And the question that came up with that is like, you know, what do, what do we mean when we say that it dwelled in the Holy of Holies? Doesn't God dwell everywhere? Like we've been learning throughout the Tanya, one of the major themes of the Tanya is that God is everywhere. There is no place devoid of God. God is in the apple. God is in the chair. God is um, in your bathroom. He's there, he's everywhere. There is no place devoid of God. So if that's the truth, what do we mean? Why why are we specifying that God dwells in the holy of holies? Like what's that about? And we liken this to the soul. We we gave the analogy of the soul and how the soul permeates the entire body. And so there's no place. And and not only does the soul permeate the entire body, but the soul permeates the entire body equally in an equal measure. We can't say that the soul is more present in one part of the body than in another, just like we can't say that God is more present in one part of the world than another. So today we're going to address that question. So what is it that we mean by this idea of the of God dwelling in the Kodesh Kadoshim? And the answer to that is really through this understanding of how, you know, virtual reality works and how our reality works, how we experience reality, that while yes, our bodies are very essential and uh, and, our, and we, a person, God forbid, who has an issue with their eyes, they will have a problem with their vision. They won't be, even if their brain is totally function totally intact um, the eyes do play a role with it all nevertheless the brain is really unique in the sense that it is considered to be the nerve center and what we mean by the nerve center is that that is the place where the vitality of the soul the brain is the place that the vitality of the soul is more revealed there so it's not that it's more present there so because again the soul permeates the entire body in equal measure However, when it comes to the brain, it's more apparent that there's this like strong vitality there. It's more revealed that there's this strong vitality there. And so this is how we can understand in a more broader context when we talk about the world versus the holy temple and especially the Kodesh Kedoshim, the holy of holies. So just as the body has a nerve center, which is the brain, so too does the world have a nerve center. And that nerve center is in fact the Kodesh Kadoshim. So, uh, so that's that's what the theme is going to be for today's Tanya. And so, let's get into the text and see how the Alter Rebbe explains this. For context, we're in the middle of chapter fifty-one today of Likutei Amarim, and so the Alter Rebbe begins here, referencing something, an idea that we brought up yesterday, namely that this, you know, this vitality, this vital flow that flows throughout the body of the soul can really be. Um, can be understood in terms of 613 energy flows that flow throughout the body because and that um, parallels the 613 mitzvahs that's why each one of the mitzvahs that we do allows our bodies and our souls to connect with its source with their source above in a unique way and so then this is why we try to be as careful as possible in keeping all of the details of the 613 mitzvahs because each one of the details is another aspect of that flow and we want to get that divine flow to be as 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 uh, clear and as uh, without any obstruction as possible so with this in mind, that there are these 613 different kind of like energy flows that are coming from um, from con the concealment of the soul down into the body, and this is what causes the body to be to be animated, to be vitalized. So, what's taught about this is that the mainstay 
of this flow of energy and like kind of like the source of where the energy flows from throughout the entire body is entirely situated in the brain. So every, it all comes from the brain, just like we were saying, everything we experience in our world, in our reality, it's all, it all has to go through the brain in some capacity or another. Uh, and so that's why spiritually speaking, the brain receives its vitality first. It's the first one to receive the vitality and, um, and in within the brain itself, there's different components of the brain of the of the mind. Uh, in Chassidus, we say it's Chochma, Bina, and Das, the three intellectual attributes of of the mind, and um, as well as the as well as the power of thinking, which is the first levush, the first uh, the first garment of the soul, which also has to do with the mind. So when a person is receiving their vitality from above, it, it first goes into the mind because the mind is like the source from which the flow to everywhere else is going to happen. And not only that, that not only does, uh, does the mind receive this vitality that is shayach to it, that it's like, a, that's appropriate to it, to the mind, you know, that has to do with this chokhmah bina das and, um, and, the, and the attribute of thinking, the garment of thought, but actually all of the vitality for all of the organs first becomes situated in the mind, in the brain. And this is the source from which all of the revelation comes down in a way of a revelation to, uh, of, of the vitality and, and the light of the entire soul. And then from there, that vitality, which again, its mainstay is in the mind, then that vitality flows down into uh, and gives vitality to all the different organs of the body. So then we can start to talk about the power of sight so that the, the power of sight becomes revealed in the eye, the power of hearing in the in the ear. And all of the other uh, soul powers go um, get like spread out from the brain. So it all is sourced in the brain. And this is why we can say that like the mainstay, the main um, dwelling place of the soul is in the brain in a way of revelation, because that's from where the revelation and the you know, the flow, the influx of energy comes into all the organs, it comes from there. So what the rest of the organs are, are receiving, are experiencing, is they're just getting the radi radiance of this, uh, of this energy flow, but really the mainstay of the energy flow is in the brain. So, and what the ultra likens this to is like if, if uh, we were to have a sunlight shine into, um, into, a, a, into a room, let's say you have a building with like many different rooms in it, and the sunlight is shining into the rooms, then the source is really the sunlight, the, or the original sun, and then the rooms are receiving that radiance. And so they're receiving the radiance of the sun, but the mainstay, their main vitality is in the sun. The same thing with the brain. You know, the brain really is that nerve center. It's like really, in a certain sense, we can say that the brain is really what it is that keeps a person alive. Uh, and so then just in parentheses here, the ultra concludes with an interesting point that what about the heart? right? Because it's like when, when we think about like what is keeping somebody alive, let's say God forbid someone's in the hospital and, um, and we want to know if they're still living or not. So usually when we tend to think of it, we think, about the heart. We want to know, is the heart still pumping? Is the heart still going? But the truth is, says the ultra rabbi, even the heart, the heart receives from the mind because what tells the heart, the heart to pump blood? The heart receives those messages from the mind, from the brain. So it really does all come back to the brain. And this is this idea that the brain rules over the heart, naturally speaking, as we explained above. So that's like, you know, a very interesting point that the ultra rabbi concludes with over there. 
that gives us a little bit of a practical um, take on all of this because like um, since as we've learned um, that the mind in this section that it really all stems from the mind and the mind has rulership over everything and uh, is the nerve center of the entire body including the heart so this actually gives us a deeper understanding of this idea that we um, that and the way that this translates into our own lives, into our own behavior, that we have the power to have our mind rule over our heart, our intellect to rule over our impulses. Because in fact, this is actually the natural way of being, that the mind does have rulership over the heart. So that's the end of the section for today. And so I hope that was interesting for you. And we're going to continue tomorrow, still in this chapter, but in a new section of this chapter. So stay tuned for that. And I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast, hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzhak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Taught project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.